Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. How to cope with the threats you'd rather forget. Um, Wow. That brings up so many thoughts in my mind, as I'm sure it does when individuals come see me uh, in a psychological counseling context. There are innumerable, (laughs) it's a good word, threats that probably all of us experience somewhat universally. Uh, some common dimension to threat. There's always life and limb. There's always a risk of harm. There's always the basic needs, uh, eating, sleeping, all those things that otherwise would be important to survival, uh, protection, safety, security. But there are probably also so many unique variations <laughs> when it comes to how many ways uh, that we could be threatened and how many of those do seem to translate literally to survival and then how many of those may actually only in psychological dimensions seem like they may <laughs> render us anything and everything including deceased in a bad way. And that probably then would speak to, in psychological sort of dimensions, all those assaults on our ego and what I think is a much more common way of describing it than it ever has been, although I'm pretty sure the term has been around for a long time, the phraseology, ego death. Psychology Today, November, December 2023. How to cope with the threats you'd rather forget. The author, Alice Solda, Ph.D. Increasing our sense of control could help us overcome willful ignorance. We're routinely exposed to vast information, much of it distressing, like reports of a looming recession or a violent crime nearby. Because this can trigger anxiety or fear, people often engage in willful ignorance to quickly forget the negative information, a behavior that, while easier in the moment, is often harmful in the long run. But a simple intervention could help people overcome willful willful ignorance, improving memory of critical information, and increasing self-efficacy. In one of our studies, my co-authors and I split 1,200 adults into two groups. One was provided with simple, effective measures to stay safe from air pollution, theoretically increasing their sense of perceived control. The other was not. Both groups were then exposed to frightening facts about pollution, then tested to see if they could recall them. Participants who learned protective measures were 25% less likely to forget the distressing information compared to those who weren't. Interestingly, we found that increasing perceived control worked best for participants who had previously underestimated the risks of pollution, suggesting that this type of intervention may be most helpful for those who are at least who are the least prepared. A lack of perceived control triggers fear and uncertainty, 
which in turn breeds willful ignorance and inaction. Our data suggests that raising awareness alone is not enough. We must also equip each other with practical advice to face threats head on. How to cope with the threats you'd rather forget. Increasing our sense of control could help us overcome willful ignorance. Alice Solda, Ph.D. So, beyond the obviousness of threat and, I suppose, a willingness to at least accept that not only is there innumerable, as I declared it at the beginning of the podcast, potential threats, some of which are real, some of which in being not only real are imminent, some of which are, albeit real, maybe not so imminent, some of which might be otherwise somewhat contrived, as we would call that in the business or those in the business, some variation of neuroses, neurotic, anxiety-evoked, thinking, (laughs) catastrophizing, thinking of the worst possible things that could happen But even in that, I suppose there is that I'd rather forget it, distractibility. But to admit there are threats and then to admit even more specifically to acknowledge the reality of a particular threat, obviously, is control. How is it control? Well, with control, you have a choice. And I think in that, when we just say it's all about control, there's usually negative connotations. When I say, oh, it's all a matter of choice, it kind of flips it a bit. And with that, though, it is controlling or at least feeling like you have some say, which is also a much more positive connotation association associated than with just you're controlling and you just want to control it. But really, control does not have to be always negative. I think the article captures that. It can be a matter of choice. And with that, having options, ways of addressing it, so that you don't have to resort to simply forgetting, which we would call in defense mechanism sort of terms, denial. You can possibly learn to address it, Not forget it. I would think adaptively being able to admit it, not live in denial, and then set your mind to answers with some measure of not only control, choice, uh, identifying possible ways to influence the situation. Some, again, in that same measure or means of measuring imminence or measure of imminence. You can do that more directly than indirectly, although, albeit, even indirectly is better than having no influence. We're going to feel better about it. And most likely, more likely, to come up with an answer. When you avoid it altogether or entirely, you really aren't being very constructive. You're not going to come up with an answer. You're probably not going to seek any sort of psychological counseling or help. So much of the problem with psychological matters, and they all in some, as I've been saying, direct or indirect way, tie to survival, or at least the association with this thing is going to kill me if I don't come up with a good answer. 
The idea, though, is some people simply choose to forget, ignore. I think even so, in dialectical behavior therapy connotation or terms, we might call that mindfulness, which doesn't mean mindfulness is not adaptive. It just means if you're going to have to face a threat, you're going to have to then accept the reality of it and then constructively come up with an answer that is better than running away from it, fight or flight, but more than just fighting with it even, coming up with a much more palatable or reasonable, less emotionally charged reaction than to fight. Or if you're going to fight, fight fairly, logically reasoned, problem-solving, abstract thinking, those kind of empirical, scientific, (laughs) hypothetical model of reasoning sort of fight, uh, then probably what you want to do is you want to at least know that you can't stay in such the threat mode all the time. And mindfulness does give you at least a temporary escape when you can't seem to otherwise turn your brain off or the threat mode or you can't come up with because maybe your creative thinking is all dried up. And why wouldn't it be if you're worried all the time and all your energy is spent in those kind of negative patterns? then mindfulness might help you to disengage. But it only helps to the extent distraction, distractibility, that it gives you a chance to reapproach. But if you never reapproach, you can't live in fantasy. You can't live in ignorance. You can't live in denial. Nothing gets resolved. And the imminent aspect of that is, even if it may not be so immediately imminent, eventually it catches up with you. And adaptively, the threat, if it were to be real, now you may find it to be more neurotic, but if it is legitimate and real, then it will eventually have its ill effects. And it could be, as you've initially appraised it to be, such that it may affect your very livelihood, your ability to live. And what's more maladaptive than death, if you see it that way? So to come to see someone such as myself, we might then offer mindfulness, distraction, uh, even to come see me as a bit of an escape from having to carry the burden or bear the burden entirely yourself or even within your support group. Sometimes, such as air pollution, it's so global, so big, you can't like exactly put a finger on it and, as with influence control, do anything immediately to resolve it. You've got to work collectively and through some channels and that kind changes with much deliberation, much energy expended, not overnight. It can take a while to affect that level of change at that global level of threat. But if you come see me, then I can take some of that burden off of you. But what I'm really going to try to do is help you to see it for what it really is without then the inclination to become so avoidant that you are dismissive of it or don't return. (laughs) That's another way of avoiding it. Live in denial and hopefully then as we kind of do that balancing act... We also call that a bit of that as approach avoidance. Maybe a bit of desensitization 
so that it's not so threatening or the sensitivity is such the level that you have small margin between logical thinking and then resorting to just simply the fight or flight. Since you can't either destroy the world or your world or yourself as a result of that level of threat or pressure, when there's no immediately identifiable solution, you've got to come up with a way to endure, to not quit, to not give up, and should then hopefulness, optimism, and then the belief that a solution is available if just given sufficient time and resource with clarity of thought where you can devote your thoughts to not always catastrophe but to possible success rather than seeing everything as failure written all over it see it with some measure of success or at least the hope of win then coming to see me could help you to find the right balance to pace it out So I think the article kind of then leads us to, if not in any other way, solution-focused, then to sit down with somebody who is solution-focused to recognize that we have to attend to the emotions and the emotional reactions because they are valid, but we can't let them become so overpowering that we can't with direction or strategy, focus ourselves enough upon the possibility of brainstorming, creatively coming up with solutions that we even fail to launch is one of the mandates that goes along with psychological counseling. You're never going to come to an answer until you can calm down enough to declare or to at least find and then in declaration pick or choose a possible way to go. There will always be then the feedback. There will always be then something that comes out of that uh, as with experiment that you may have to take into consideration that will cause you to modify your choice but at least that's a start. Not starting, failure to launch or regression just running away from it altogether is really not very helpful. I would want to believe that our society could, culturally, could face all these global world sort of problems in somewhat that same way without resorting to either fight or flight, uh, learned helplessness, overwhelming anxiety that we freeze up rather than provide some sort of safer place or at least a more objective, out of this subjective vantage point or perspective to look at it, that we can come up with an answer. And that really is the conundrum. (laughs) Because when people come in to see me, by the time they come in to see me, usually the duress is of such a level for many, if not a good majority, I think some are proactive. Some would come in in advance and well before it arrives at that point. But I think most people are not inclined to prevention. <laughs> most people are inclined to uh, 
remediation. <laughs> and hopefully that's sooner than later, so it's not such the secondary or tertiary care, medically speaking, of uh, having to fix what has already now become more than just the threat, more than just the, in a preventative sort of way, hope that we don't go there. We've already gone there now, and now we have to undo as well as hope that it's not crossed some sort of fail-safe point. Well, we can't reverse the effects of it. Uh, that's the disease model, is that if you get, and that's why I thought of the medical and brought that up in the podcast today, is that if you go down that path, it can be prevention, but only up to a certain point. But once you hit that secondary and tertiary care dimension, you're going to get to a place where it's already started to now take a different course, which then has in and of itself with disorder and disease an imperative, a motive that takes you probably further away from rightly being able to come up with an answer. And if you are able to come up with an answer, it also seems to be accepting of or necessitate the accepting of already a cost. I'd love it if we didn't have to pay a cost. I'd love it if we could in some ways promote how to cope with the threats you'd rather forget in such a way that we would not be immobilized or would not linger in fight or flight more than necessary or at least be able to identify the legitimate threats from those that are just a product of overall anxiety or stress. Maybe they're coming, it's a legitimate threat, maybe it's coming from someplace else, but with that idea too of displacement, too much mindfulness, we've neglected the things that we need to and now it's starting to spread. Need to address. And now it's starting to spread. It's getting to other areas of our life. And that's usually what happens with disease and disorder. It's not just limited to one thing or a particular area of our life. It starts to spread, especially with psychological disorder and distress and disease. But if we can arrest that and you can come and talk to someone, such as myself again, and we can say in that moment or on that point long enough, even if it should be beyond that more general hope of prevention, maybe we can prevent worse things from happening. Maybe we can reverse, <laughs> remediate in such a way that, that we don't have to call it a disease. It could just be disordered. And there is a difference between disorder and disease. Disorder would be still some margin or room for correction without too total of a give up or give in sort of mentality. Well, there's really nothing we can do about it. It's got a course of its own. And the only way this is, is going to play itself out is just to accept wherever it goes, we'll have to clean up the mess that goes along with it afterward. I would want to believe you don't have to necessarily resolve problems that way. You could get ahead of them proactively. And should, again, we miss maybe the entirety of cost, that there's going to be a cost paid, we miss the avoidance of any cost, then let's at least try to correct that or rectify that as soon as we possibly can. And once more, acknowledging it, Keeping that in mind is the beginning. And should we be able to do that successfully and keep one's focus 
in such a way that fight or flight doesn't preeminate or take preeminence, then maybe we can then say, okay, we'll take a few deep breaths. We know where the pain is coming from. We know what the threat is now. Let's not retreat into some sort of entire fantasy world of distraction or avoidance or trying to forget it. Let's then calmly, collectively, collaboratively work together to resolve it. And if you should believe, as I mentioned a few moments ago, that there's some things that's the only way we're going to have some effect is in a collective dimension, then working with other people and not seeing the world in such a threatening way that you then begin to include anyone who is bound to, or at least intention to, committed to, uh, facing the problem to be so threatening that you want to run away from them. There is, I think, exponentially power, (laughs) additional power, in numbers. I don't know that it is as with, then the more you have, the more you can make the world what you want it to be, as much as the more you have, the more perspective, the more perspective, the more intention toward finding an answer, collectively resolving a problem, the more resource, exponentially, that is available Two are better than one in overcoming threat. And possibly so, working together will remove some element of the threat. People are no longer enemies if they're working with you to a common end. Just ask most individuals how that works when you can identify resource or at least collaboration When it comes to common enemies. (laughs) Your neighbor is not your enemy. The family member is not your enemy. The therapist, in this case, is the psychotherapist, psychological counselor, is not your enemy. We're here to help. But if every time I remind you of the threat or you're still so inclined to want to forget it, that it becomes a defensive or it causes you to, in some way of posturing, resort to defensiveness or simply denial or simply, even more simply, never coming back because you've chosen to run away from it as opposed to face it, then you're probably not going to really be able to solve that in any prevention, only any prevention sort of context, but proactively, you're just going to complicate it, make it worse. And then with progression, not only is it going to become worse in terms of the symptoms, but the numbers, (laughs) in a bad sort of way now, of incidences of the problem, how it affects you globally now, more generally speaking, it gets into a little bit of all your function, your activities of daily living as measured by function, you're going to show some sort of decline in your ability to cope with stress overall, be able to accomplish, be creative in finding answers to accomplishing the everyday more mundane or more normal sort of tasks. And it will render you burnt out and eventually, if not careful, with that idea of depression, a progressive 
sort of measure of stress progressively measured, it will turn out to compromise your abilities to emotionally function, even so that if you have any predisposition to anxiety and depression, that level of stress, not resolving the problem, the cumulative aspect of that, Running away means that you may not be dealing with anything in the way of stress because it all seems a bit overwhelming and you just don't have the resource or the motive at any particular moment to handle even the smaller things. You're going to increase the chances of that becoming a reality. You're going to start down the path of anxiety as a disorder initially, but also then disease and same with depression. It could be burnout and then could then, as with unresolved, if you're inclined, (laughs) turn out to be depression or the onset of something much more severe. That's why prevention is always the best model. That's why primary care always works best. If not, then secondary care. But don't wait till it gets so bad you can't function at all to seek help and assistance because it's much less likely if you get there that we're going to be able to reverse it. How to cope with the threats you'd rather forget? Don't forget them! (laughs) Go ahead and be disciplined enough to admit, ah, I've got to do something. They're real, or even if they're not real, they're weighing on me as if they're real and that's going to cause additional complications. I need to sit down with somebody and sort it out. Psychology Today, November, December 2023, Alice Solda, PhD, How to Cope with the Threats You'd Rather Forget, Increasing Our Sense of Control, Can Help Us Overcome Willful Ignorance. It's not so much just simply control, it's choice. And not only with choice, and then choosing to address it, it's then with agency and influence and autonomy. And should you then be collaboratively inclined, there's, again, exponentially power in numbers. Let us be the first. (laughs) Come talk to me. So at least the two of us. And then add more to it. Family systems. They're not your enemy. (laughs) They're your family. They can be of great support even if they're the ones that keep saying, you should really address this. Running from it and them won't help. Should you want to reach out to us, you can call us at 304-523-WORD-9673. You can find me at drndclay at thewordhouse.com. You can find us at thewordhouse.com. We're on YouTube and Facebook at The Word House. Should, for whatever reason, you might not want to speak with me. Don't that let that deter you from talking to someone. Psychology Today has a great directory available at their website of vetted psychological counselors, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists that are all more than interested, I'm sure, in helping you with an answer, whether it is in person or through some sort of virtual medium. But that should never be the reason you don't get help. There's plenty of resource out there. You just have to reach out and claim it. Such, too, would be the podcast itself, Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. We upload, I guess, 
a podcast weekly, and and so look for the next one to come out. And I'm hoping, even so, as you've joined me today on whatever platform you choose to use to receive and enjoy your podcast, that you'll come back and find us again. And until we get a chance then to do this once more, I want to wish you the best of not only good mind health, but good health in general. And the best life that you could possibly have by doing the best in the way of self-care. And that's what we're all about. Until we get a chance to meet again, thanks.